as if I were giving a Bible quiz and I were saying what chapter of the Bible is love, you would say 1 Corinthians 13, what chapter of the Bible is is the bread of life and so on. If I were to ask you what chapter do we call the faith chapter and you would automatically respond Hebrews chapter 11. And I, if I had a premise uh, question uh, for the message tonight, how do we live our Christian apologetic in a world that is going at a breakneck speed away from God's absolute truth? How do we live our Christian apologetic in a world that is going at a breakneck speed away from God's absolute truth? And if you were to look back, I'm not going to go back and review what led up to Habakkuk crying, God, how long, how long? Because he knew prophetically what was coming and he wondered if God was not hearing anymore. How can you see what's happening, God, and not do anything about it? And yet he knew that the Assyrians were prophesied to overrun God's people. And when Jehoiakim in his arrogance was taking the word of God of, of the prophecies of Jeremiah, he was taking his knife at his feet propped up at his winter house in arrogance was throwing the word of God sheet by sheet into his fireplace, fire. And yet Habakkuk cried, God, how long? How long? In the end of chapter 1, he turns to the attributes of God. And where every believer has to turn when things seem like nothing is going the way it seemingly should be. He began to recognize God's sovereignty and God's eternality and God's characteristics. And then he said, it seemed like evil is like a net dragging everything along with it. Then God answered him in chapter 2, said, Habakkuk, it will get worse. But I will deal with the wicked in my way and in my time, but the just shall, what? Yes. Live by his faith. So the answer to my premise question, how do we live our Christian apologetic in a world going at a breakneck speed away from God's absolute truth? And the answer is by faith. And that's why I want to take one verse out of Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to take Noah as an example of living by faith when everything seemed like it was going wrong. And we are reminded of the fact that without faith it is impossible to please God. And uh, they who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world, and became the heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. You see the two words, by faith, seem like a parenthesis on either side of that verse. Begins by faith and ends by faith. But what's packed in between those two statements is so loaded for us today to make this application. I want to look first of all at the phrase, by faith Noah being warned of God. The basis of Noah's faith was the word of God. 
God spake to Noah. He did not have a Bible on his lap. But God spoke the word to Noah. And the basis of Noah's faith was the word of God. What is the basis of our faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, you go out and give a gospel tract at one of your activities and, and uh, you get into a conversation and you make the statement, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. Someone said, that's narrow. You mean to tell me that the only way that a person can get to heaven is believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ when there were so many other religions in the world and so many other sincere people and so many others who have given themselves sacrificially? What is the basis of you being able with authority to say, Jesus is the only way? What's our basis? The Word of God. We, we have nothing else to go on. It's the word of God that we have. How do we know that there is a real heaven? How do we know that there is a real hell? By the word of God. We're not left just floating. Uh, we do not follow cunningly devised fables. We do not follow the idea that somebody dreamed these up. And But Peter said, we have a more sure word. We were witnesses of this. But we have a more sure word. More sure than having been a witness. Sight can be deceiving. I can be standing in a spot and, and there could be a 20 foot building in front of me that hides a 90 foot building because of my perspective. Sight can deceive me to believe something that is not true. But when we see the word of God, when we have that as the basis of our faith, that is how we operate. So by faith, Noah being warned of God, he was a preacher of righteousness. And you have to realize that for 120 years, this man stood alone on the authority of the word of God. We cannot be putting ourselves in a position where we say and we begin to compromise that, well, maybe Genesis chapter 1 could be in question. Oh, really? I remember years and years ago I said there's a centrifugal force, there's a fleeing of center. You have God's absolute truth. The Bible is God's word. And... Uh, there is truth. But there is a pressure that centrifugal forces, the fleeing of center. Then you get out to another ring. The Bible is God's word, but you have to not be so dogmatic in applications of that word. And I remember saying many, many, many years ago, back in the early 70s, that the, the compromise is going to come on the authority of Scripture in this realm of evolution. Because Genesis chapter 1 is going to be appearing to be combating science. And I said where I, I think believers who believe the Bible is the word are going to start fudging 
on this realm. And I said, that's where the first fudging for the authority of Scripture is going to begin to take place. And we're going to give in to science to say, well, maybe Genesis chapter 1 and maybe it can't be. No, the Word of God is the authority for what we believe. Secondly, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. That's the next statement. Now, I don't believe that that is a picture of Noah hiding behind his house or, or uh, cowering. I think when God spoke to Noah, I think God had such a relationship with God. And I think Noah had such an awe of God that when God spoke to him I think his heart was automatically lifted up in worship and reverence and praise to that God that's why in singing your heart gets so lifted up in songs and in praise the most spiritual people in Old Testament were the musicians they were the ones that had the greatest demand to have hearts that were hearts for God you look at Asaph, the battles that he went through within his own soul. But he was the chief musician, a tremendous position of responsibility because he was in charge of worship. And I would have loved to have heard that choir that Ezra and Nehemiah had. Would you have heard that when they lined up on the finished walls? I mean, thousands of voices were lifted. They must have heard that all the way up to Turkey. And they were singing what? Praise, worship, adoration. I think this is what Noah did. I think Noah was lifted up in praise and worship. What is, what is that? What is praise? It's expression by God's people, by the redeemed, to the Redeemer, about the redemption. That's when we sing songs of praise and worship and sing songs of adoration for who, who God is. Worship. That's why when you come in, the, the music program at the beginning is not just a tack on. And when you look at the songs of praise and worship, it's not just something that, well, it's a part of a necessary program. No, you get in and you have your heart warmed and lifted and praised. So by faith, Noah being warned of God, the basis of his faith was the word. The expression of his faith was worship. Then we see the word prepared. In that word I see work. We have a generation that has a struggle sometimes with the work ethic. On the way coming over here we stopped at a Burger King. And I was ordering a, a survival sandwich for Charlene and me. And, <laughs> and uh, I heard the manager in the back telling another person, we have four workers who didn't show up today. But you know what I've heard over and over? They don't call. Or they call in sick. And then they're seen somewhere else. Uh... I used to tell incoming freshmen, some of you are going to have to learn a work ethic. And it's not legalism. Work is not legalism. Work is life. That's life. And I said, some of you are so lazy, you think 
manual labor is the president of Mexico. <laughs> and I said, you're going to have to find something different here along the way. <laughs> Didn't know the sun came up slowly. Uh, you got up all your life and it's been way up there. Now you're going to morning Devo and that's that big orange ball. What is that over there? And your RA has to explain uh, what that is. <laughs> Obviously, I was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but work. Did Noah worship the ark into construction? Wouldn't that have been great if God called Noah this ark and Noah said, Amen. I'm going to lift up in praise, in adoration, and God's going to send that thing down full bore. But you know what he did? Prepared. That verb is an action verb. That's an activity verb. Uh, how do you think this building got here? Do you think the people years ago got together and, and went to a local coffee shop and said, let's meet at 6 o'clock, pray for God to give us a building. You pray from 6 to 6.30, then have your coffee and drive by at 7, no building. Next day you said, let's meet at 5.30 and let's pray from 5.30 to 6.30 before we have coffee for God to give us a building. Drive by, no building. You're thinking, what's wrong with our faith? Well, nothing wrong with your faith. There's something wrong with your understanding that when something has to get done, work eventually gets involved in that something that has to get done. People show up with hammers. They show up with... with uh, Supplies, they show up with things, and people go to work. Uh, volunteer groups come in many times, and the church is trying to save money per square foot, and the women will fix a meal, men come straight home from work, and the men and women will work, the, somebody watching the kids, and they will work till a certain point. But that is a preparation that has to be done. And sometimes we just wish that we could just worship our way into everything. But then God makes another step. And Noah actually, and when you stop to think, I've never been to the ark. We're going to be going there in about a week or so, meeting our daughter and her family from South Carolina. We're going to meet at the ark. How many have been to the ark so far? Uh, we have not been there. But I, I think when I see that, I'm going to have a different perspective completely of what Noah had to go through, of organization and hiring locals and whatever else he had to do, and the timbers that had to come in, and all of the, the reputation that he had to go through for that. But never resent the fact that there was a call to work when it comes to that Paul says, I labored more abundantly than all of you. By the way, in Genesis, work was assigned to Adam before sin, assigned to Adam before the fall. It was not a consequence of the fall. It was pre-fall. And, uh, and so, early form of worship for him. Work. And then he says, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. Interesting phrase. How did Noah condemn the world? Well, when you see he was a preacher of righteousness, he preached repentance and preached righteousness. 
And who believed? Nobody. His family. His family. And in that I see the word witness. By the which he condemned the world. That was the evidence of Noah's faith. And so the word was the basis. Worship was the expression. Work was the action of his faith. Now we see the evidence of Noah's faith. He proclaimed the truth that God had him to proclaim. I'm sure people have had gone to him during that period of time said, Noah, we like you. But you're crazy. Have you ever made a decision for the Lord and people said, are you okay? I mean, have you thought this through? I'm sure people came to Noah and said, nobody, Noah, nobody has listened to you. Nobody has responded to you. Get this group over there. There's a group called the Nile River Nine. Get them to come in and get the crowd excited a little bit at least and then jump out from behind the finished part of the ark and give a little sermonette thing. But you're constantly going after righteousness and repentance and that thing is not flying, Noah. What was Noah doing? Proclaiming what God had given him to proclaim. The world was going to come under destruction. The world was going to come under judgment. And he was a witness. You know, we were, Friday night, uh, we took our our uh, daughter-in-law and little gammon, uh, their daddy was on a, a trip with, with the semi and and uh, we saw that the rodeo was in Iron River. Profession, only professional rodeo in Michigan is in Iron River, Michigan. And uh, well, I'd never been to a rodeo in all my life. And so well, I thought, well, Jessica said, why don't we go? And so we did. We got in the car and went. And when we first got to that area, we got there real early. And that I'd, I wasn't really all that impressed. And then the crowd started coming in. And I mean, it got packed. And the professional rodeo riders and the professional people who were there uh, ready to put on a professional show, the, the rodeo PR guy who was a, probably the well, most well-known rodeo announcer <coughs> was on a horse this whole time with a mic in his hand, introduced himself and welcomed the crowd, said he was glad to be back in the UP with the Upers. He was from South Texas. And then he made this statement. He said, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for what he is going to allow us to do tonight. Didn't he, honey? He went on and on, and he said, I just want to recognize the truth, and then what we have in this nation as a result of the work. But I, th- and when he ended his thing, he prayed, and what a prayer! And Father, in the name of your Son Jesus Christ, God, we ask for safety tonight. In the name of your Son Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow! And then when the show began, I could not believe. The quality of that show, I said, wow, I would easily come back again for $15. Mm-hmm. 
But you know what impressed me more than anything else? The unbelievable riding. This woman riding two horses bareback on bare feet. Going through flames. And, but you know what impressed me the most? That guy had the boldness with the mic in his hand. To make a very clear witness about his relationship to Jesus Christ. At a rodeo. With a packed crowd. I was coming back from Dominican Republic. Uh, connecting from Dominican to Miami, Florida. To connect on a flight to Detroit. And I got on the flight. I, my seat was, was 2C. And uh, I, I was sitting there, and, and a man got on the plane, huge. I mean, he literally looked like he filled that, that doorway completely. And he sat in one seat. He sat right in front of me, his neck and his shoulders. And I thought, this guy's professional something. I don't know what, but he's professional something. Maybe he's a food tester. <laughs> I don't know, but he is huge. <laughs> And I thought, I'm going to engage him in conversation when, when we get airborne and see if I can find out what's, what this guy is about. And we took off and leveled off. And, and this big, huge guy began witnessing to the guy in 1D. He started talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and giving the gospel to this guy in 1D. And the guy in 1D got out of his seat at the bulkhead there, he opened the bin, he pulled his briefcase out and went back and sat in the seat. I was looking through the seats there when he opened it. The briefcase was packed with material on Islam. The guy was a committed Muslim. And he took that Christian on tooth and toenail. You believers, you Christians, you don't take seriously. You Christians don't know their Bible. We know the Koran. And this big guy just graciously went back with the gospel the finished work of Christ and no reaction no just gracious witness and I thought when we landed in Detroit and that was a long flight I'm going to thank him for being so diligent and I got off the plane and terminal in Detroit and I went up there and I said thanks for witnessing to that guy <laughs> I used to be taller but I got married and settled down and, and I, I was looking up at him and uh, I said thanks for witnessing to that man he said I'm mad he said how many Christians in the United States of America would be as bold and willing to speak up aggressively for what they believe as that Muslim was to take me on when I gave a simple witness. Yeah. guy's name was James Henderson. He was at, at that time he was in the Guinness Book of World Records as the strongest man in the world. Yeah. I remember years ago Anderson was the strongest man in the world, a very bold Christian witness. And instead of this guy spending the rest of his life enjoying the accolades and enjoying the money that he had, what he chose to do, 
He said, I am traveling and going into public schools. I'm, I'm going to be preaching in some churches in Kentucky this weekend. I'm doing public school demonstrations. He did power lifting. He'd bend steel bars. He'd take these big, thick city phone books. You could Google James Henderson. You could pull up his website. He works by himself. Take these thick city phone books and tear them. I could do Dunbar's. <laughs> Five pages. That's no power move. <laughs> That's not a power move. I'd need three of them to get my fireplace lit. And... Uh, but you know what I thought that guy had the boldness and the passion and the compassion to engage the man sitting next to him in conversation about the gospel witness you know what he was doing he was putting that Muslim in the wrong you know what we do when we witness and that message is rejected that truth is putting that person in the wrong. In Noah, when it says that he condemned the world, he was not standing there as a personal opinion judge. He was proclaiming God's message to a world. And that truth was putting the world in the wrong. And we have to realize when we witness, there will not be a lot of positive responses. Once in a while, and I'm not going to illustrate the times, and they've been many, where there have been a positive response and, and a person coming to accept the gospel. But not many. When Christ himself was here, even the parable of the sower, one-fourth, landed on good ground. We sure, certainly wouldn't think, boy, he, he sure wasn't doing it the right way. And you see prophets that God had called said you're going to preach and no one is going to hear you. But I want you to go and do it. And boy what this world needs today is Christians when they come into this church they need to sense an atmosphere of love that this is what God is like what I see in these people. This is what God is like. Amen. And when we go out into that world we go out into that world as a witness. And interestingly, if we were to choose a, a leadership team to impact this world, or let's say we're just going to choose a leadership team to impact Duluth, Minnesota, the surrounding area. Our mind would think, well, let's get this guy. He's really a top-notch guy. He's a leader. This guy's the president of, a, of this, and this guy is the quarterback on this team, and this pro athlete, this. And you know where Jesus went? He went and picked fishermen, of whom the world said they're ignorant and unlearned. No formal training. And on the way there, picked up an IRS agent. <laughs> you think, this is a leadership team? <laughs> But don't forget, it was an ignorant fisherman who preached with power at Pentecost. And you know what he's doing? Putting the world in the wrong. Gamaliel, the intellectual of the intellectual of that era, Paul sat at his feet. And these Pharisees and Sadducees came to Gamaliel and said, 
Gamaliel, do something about this. This is getting out of hand. <laughs> and what would a doctor of law do? He would go to former cases. See, so remember when Judas came through and there was a big hullabaloo, it came to nothing. Remember when Judas of Galilee came through? Big doings going on, nothing. It came to nothing if this be of man. It too will come to nothing. And in the Greek there, there's a first, second, third class condition. Aeon in the subjunctive is highly unlikely. And that's what the first one was. If this be a man. Aeon in the subjunctive. Because I checked this out. I thought, I'm going to see what that those ifs were. Which Gamaliel was saying, what we're seeing now. <laughs> this is not from man. Then he said, if it be of God, A plus an indicative is the next thing there. Which means it could be translated since. Since what we are seeing is from God, you can't touch it or you're going to fight God himself. I personally believe that's one of the things that got Paul into an animal like rage. You combine that with the fact of Stephen's stoning and the glow of God on his face as he was about to go into the presence of the one standing at the right hand of the Father welcoming home that first martyr of the Christian church. And Paul left there in an animal like rage to press north with more papers from Jerusalem to go and imprison and kill and capture people of the way and his life was transformed that's the power of the gospel and Gamaliel the intellectual of the intellectual was hearing the result of fishermen and low class people proclaiming with power the gospel you don't have to be some big top flight person all you have to do is have a passion and take the truth of the word of God being sent as an ambassador with the gospel mm -hmm. to see that work being done there was witness that was the evidence of Noah's faith what was he doing he was living his Christian apologetic demonstrating and then we see the wages which he saved his household and became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith that's the reward of Noah's faith after 120 years Genesis chapter 7 God said Noah enter the ark thou and thy household enter into the ark no, 120 years had gone by and you have to know he had listened to a lot Shem, Ham and Japheth must have listened to a lot you teenagers could you imagine being one of Noah's boys in high school you're going to play soccer or hockey this year Noah's going to help dad with the ark graduation comes Ham going to college no dad said the degree would be meaningless Oh, really? Ten-year reunion come. Everyone's excited to get back to show their, their new wife and their first child. Jesus, you're looking in great shape. What have you been doing? I've been helping Dad with the ark. 
50-year reunion comes. They'd come in and talk. I can just picture this. Don't look too deeply in the scriptures for this. This is my wild imagination. <laughs> but people saying, Shem, what have you been up to? Looks like you've been outside a lot. You ever been helping Dad with the ark? I remember your dad was on that kick in high school. You guys couldn't play sports. Hundred year reunion comes. Survivors wobble in. Ham, what are you doing? Oh, I've been pitching in there, helping dad. Getting that arc thing finished. Still on that kick. Genesis 1, 7, 1. Noah, enter thou in thy household into the ark. Imagine what they thought when the animals were marched in. In order. Properly paired up. What would they have been there? Where are they coming from? Then Noah and his family go in and then there are seven days of silence. One last opportunity. God shut the door. I'm sure there were still mockers. Ah! When are you going to rain? Ever notice when people mock, sound like they're gargling? Ah! All of a sudden, a rumble from underneath, outbursts from above. And check with Dr. Mack or your pastor who's, and you've lived in Israel, so you have a lot more Hebrew. But I think the Hebrew word is, uh-oh. <laughs> that guy was right. <laughs> you know what? Too late. His truth put the world in the wrong. And we cannot lose sight of that. We go with godly love, godly compassion, non-judgmental, but with a passion to give the gospel. Because the basis of that is his word. The expression of that is our worship. The action of that is our work. The expression of that is our witness. But then ultimately, like Paul says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And it's the henceforth that sometimes we lose sight of. And we find a, a world, uh, even in Christendom, they're just wrapped up in their world and wrapped up in their life and wrapped up in their things. And then just cling to, well, God's sovereign. I'm not going to interfere with his working. Nobody gave a great commission. He gave an imperative command to go with the gospel. And uh, what a difference it'll make. It will be worth it all. I wonder if we could sing that as we close tonight. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face. All sorrow will erase. 
so bravely run the race till we see Christ. I'm not sure if that's in the book or not. We might be able to remember enough of it to, to sing it. But let's not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so let's be looking by faith. How do we live our Christian apologetic? By faith. Because what we don't comprehend, what we don't understand, we believe it because God said it. Okay. Thank you, thank you, Daco. Well, my thought as we close tonight, and it's a good idea to sing this 